The estate planning team is an Ohio registered investment advisor. The following is for informational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities or financial products. Be sure to consult with a qualified financial advice and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. You have financial goals and dreams. We can help you achieve them. Welcome to Financial Food for Thought, the show that answers all the questions on how to maximize your lifestyle and preserve your wealth. Good morning, everyone. You found Financial Food for Thought. My name is Mark Donnelly, and I'm president of the estate planning team. Estate planning team is a Ohio registered fiduciary planning company. We've been helping Cleveland families build custom financial plans for over 35 years, and we do it one plan, one family at a time. And today's program, I'm going to call the ABCs and Ds of Medicare. So don't look now, but we've reached the open enrollment period for Medicare that runs every year from October 15th to December 7th. And we're taping this show actually on Friday morning on the 15th. By the way, if you haven't filed your 2020 federal and Ohio and local income tax returns and they're under extension, the extension is due. So, but there's a lot of scariness going around. We always talk about how October is the scariest month of the year. And we've been talking a lot about on this radio show, what scares you? And we found over the decades of helping Cleveland families that that is one issue that certainly people are fearful for, you know, get confusion over, and that's making the various Medicare elections and dealing with that. Um, especially if you are going on Medicare for the first time at 65, or if even when you're on Medicare every year, you have the chance of changing some of the coverage that you have. And so you're trying to keep an eye on what the premiums are and the difference between the ABCs and don't forget D's of Medicare. So, well, and to get started on that, we also have an additional concern, perhaps, or wish, perhaps, is are the Democrats going to change and transform what we currently know as Medicare into something bigger and better? And that's where we'll get started. Do you feel the burn? The other thing that we are going to do in terms of healthcare, terribly important to the American people, is to expand Medicare to cover dental care, hearing aids, and eyeglasses. That sounds good. You know, in this country, we should not have many, many millions of seniors who have no teeth in their mouths or become sick because they cannot adequately digest their food. That is not acceptable. We cannot continue to have God knows how many seniors who are unable to communicate and listen to their grandchildren or their friends because they can't afford the outrageous cost of hearing aids. And people cannot read newspapers because they can't afford eyeglasses. And that is why, as we continue the fight for a Medicare for all single-payer system, at least now, at least now, we have got a guarantee that Medicare cover dental care, eyeglasses, and hearing aids. All right. Of course, that was Bernie Sanders. And... It sounds great. And I think if people, if it was presented to the American public that way, that, you know, a simple question is, would you like Medicare to cover your dental, your vision, and your hearing aids? I think most people would check the box, yes. But where is that money going to come from? <laughs> that Because 
what what we've been hearing from the uh, you know the, the 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 Medicare trustees is that Medicare is running out of money right now without any change without any additional coverage or benefits and they think you know they think it could be out of money the trust fund so to speak would be out of money by as early as 2026 that's not that far away 5 years so i think there's a lot of concern that well yeah that sounds great but where is the money going to come from or how high are my taxes going to be so but in either case we'll talk about the abcs and don't forget d's of medicare and we i'm not going to talk the whole show i could talk for five hours easily on medicare as i said we've been working with cleveland families for over 35 years and every family goes through this now it it wasn't always the case that way but I'll, i'll explain that a little bit later but right now yeah you have to you have to kind of deal with that so um, we'll we'll spend some time on this subject. Like I said, open enrollment just getting started. It's going to be open for a while, and we just use this as a time of year where we try to highlight some of the some of the rules that you need to know, and some of the pitfalls, or, or some of the how do you budget for an adequate health care in retirement? Um, how do you even go about that? And and how much you know what what is the difference between these plans? Um, so again. We'll spend some time on that as well. So you're listening to Mark Donnelly, and the estate planning team is a higher registered fiduciary planning firm. And if you'd like more information about us or our firm, please visit our website. That's probably the best way to get acquainted with us. It's simply financialfoodforthought.com. That's one string, lowercase, financialfoodforthought.com. And on there, you'll find financial articles of interest. Uh, There's basic calculators on there, some of the financial calculators. You can also link to our radio show podcast. So we we do this show every Saturday morning on 1420 WHK at 9 a.m. And the podcasts are out there. You can either you can also reach you can also get the podcast through the uh, uh, you know the 1420 website, but you can also click on our financialfoodforthought.com and we have a link that goes to the 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 previous podcast shows as well. You can also sign up for a free, no obligation consultation on the website. Um, that can be done in person, or you know, at, that's at our Middleburg Heights home office, or uh, over the telephone. You know, whichever you are more comfortable with, and you know, we can accommodate that. And if you're, and, and if, but if you're ready right now for a consultation, so you can simply call us. Our home phone number is four four zero two three nine. 2090. That's 440-239-2090. You can leave a message and someone will get back to you on Monday. So before I get into the ABCs and does that scare you, what else scares you? So this is the month we talk about that. Is it the Rona? The Delta variant? Is it the financial risk that this pandemic is causing certainly concerns is it uh, is it biden inflation you know you know biden's president biden's stagflation party are you concerned about that we've been talking about that, a lot about that on this show what if this inflation is not quite as transitory as what the federal reserve chairman and the treasury secretary and president biden and some others originally were telling us it was and don't get too concerned about it Maybe you are concerned about it. You know, that could certainly be it. Higher taxes. You know, we're, we're, we don't know the status of the infrastructure package right now. Of course, they kicked the can on the debt ceiling and they said, OK, let's raise it for at least until December. That's not done yet. There's a, certainly a fear if this, if this country defaults on its debt what financial havoc that would cause. And that's why I don't think anybody really believes they would ever do that. But yet we're playing this chicken game and this kick the can down the, the can kick the can down the road game. Um, as I said, we're talking about health care costs. You know, that, is that what scares you about retirement? You know, there's a lot of people out there that are saying, well, Mark, that's why I can't retire because 
I, I can't join the great resign- resignation that's you know flocking across this country because I can't afford health care. I need that employer health care benefit for me, my spouse, my family, what have you. And I, I couldn't afford that on my own. Um, that keeps a lot of people working until maybe that magic date of age 65 when they can then go right on Medicare. Um, are, are you fearful of a weaponized IRS? You know, and just as a sidebar, because I know I don't have time today to talk about all these issues, but that last one, it, you know, there's a lot of hoopla about this, the government or giving the IRS or making the banks provide information to the IRS on your financial transactions over $600. And I'm starting to get questions about that from um, some clients and saying, Mark, you know, do I need to be worried about that? And is that really going to happen? And does that mean that the IRS can go in to my bank account and garnish my money in there if they think that I owe, you know, back taxes or something. And I don't know. I don't know if you need to be that worried about it. Um, I guess if you are cheating on your taxes, (laughs) maybe you do need to be worried about it. In that case, maybe you need to be building a tax reserve (laughs) that if, if you have taken an aggressive position on previous tax returns, and you get some fan mail from the IRS and you think it may be warranted. Yeah, that that's an issue. But if you you know haven't been cheating on your taxes, I don't know if you have to be worried about this. Uh, and quite frankly, I, I don't cheat on my taxes. And, and I'm kind of mad that people are cheating on their taxes. And I, I'm, I'm not really that upset if the government go get that money. It's like, give me my money back. If I pay taxes, that's supposed to help me and what the government provides for me and safety and my family. And you're supposed to do the same. And if you're cheating on yours, that's kind of like stealing from me. So, yeah, you pay up. I don't know. But but a lot of people, they think it's a big privacy issue, right? That, you know, somehow that the the government really wants to, you know, you know, peek into your pocketbook, so to speak, and and really find out, you know, what you've been buying and who you've been giving your money to. And, you know, I don't know. Um, now, the banking industry isn't exactly ecstatic about this idea. Um, you know, and they're there's and they're the ones who are also you know, putting forward that uh, that idea that, hey, this is a huge invasion of privacy. Um, you know, there's in other words, they're saying, hey, this is information that the IRS couldn't demand from individuals. So they're using third parties like the banks as kind of a police force for the IRS. Um, I'm not so sure if the banks are really worried about that or are they more concerned or about how much it's going to cost them to for the burden of providing this information and, and to the IRS. Now, I don't know. Maybe the government will say we'll pay for that. I don't know. But I don't think the banks think the government is saying they're going to pay for that. I think the banks are saying, you know, the banks have got to pay for whatever has to be done to comply with this new rule if it's passed. And by the way, this is not passed yet. And it's not I don't know if it's close to being passed, but we'll see. And so the question is, are, should you be worried about um, now? Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary, was asked this during the week. And she, again, believes that it's really the panic is unwarranted. All right. Um, she's saying, no, I mean, the government's not really trying to figure out what you're spending your money on. Anyway, so she says, you know, I think this proposal has been seriously mischaracterized. The proposal involves no reporting of individual transactions of any individual. That was Janet Yellen's quote. Um, she went on to say, you know, the proposal instead would allow the IRS to see how much money has flowed into an account and how much has flowed out. And such info would trigger an audit if the IRS deemed it to be suspicious. The move is designed to reduce underreporting of income by wealthy individuals in a bid to avoid tax. She basically summed it up by saying, hey, the big picture is this. Look, you know, look at this. We have a tax gap that over the next decade is estimated to be $7 trillion. And we're just trying to collect that. 
because it's due and, and we're trying to stop the tax cheats. So you can look at it different ways. Um, but here's my point. We already have the $10,000 red flag rule, right? And, and for those who are not familiar with that, that, that came in, that, that was, that's been around for a long, long time. And this is going back to, you know, prior to the two thousands, um, and, or, you know, through that really 2001, um, you know, the nine 11 is really what started these rules. And, 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 you know, it was, it was, it was really designed to really crack down on, international terrorists and the organized crime syndicates and, and the drug lords and the drug smugglers and all these people that were financing their bad things they were doing globally, not only domestically, through the use of money laundering. So they, so they set these red flag rules up that said any transaction over $10,000 would be reported to the IRS. Now, I don't know if the IRS is also using that same data to crack down on tax cheats. I, I, I mean, I'd like to know that because other than the, those syndicated groups that I just mentioned, in other words, are they using them already? And because my point is, if you already have the 10,000 rule up and going and IRS haven't been using that for this purpose, well, why don't they just start there instead of saying there's a new $600 rule and, and then the IRS is going to start using that? Well, why, why don't they use the one they got right now? Or at least maybe they are, but well, then prove to us, prove to us taxpayers that it's working. Do you have any, can you give us any data that says because of this red flag rule at the $10,000 level, they have been able to crack down on tax cheats and recover stolen money from me and, and, and honest taxpayers? Then let's see that. Right. So if you're worried about the President Biden's IRS snooping on your bank accounts, I don't know if you need to jump off the bridge quite yet. And let's see if they do put that into the infrastructure plan or if they just say, well, okay, maybe $600 was too low. Maybe we'll leave it at 10000 or maybe there's some compromise in between. But in either case, I don't know if that's a strong financial risk to your retirement. If it's a privacy risk, that's between you and the government, I guess. But I don't know if it's a strong or a worrisome financial risk to, that's going to derail your retirement. Medicare costs or healthcare costs is much more important to me or a much a bigger threat of derailing your retirement. So we'll talk about the ABCs and Ds of Medicare. Open enrollment period just getting underway. Maybe you are looking to get on Medicare in the next year or two and you're not quite familiar with how it works or how much to budget for. And the estate planning team, as I said, we've been helping Cleveland families for 35 years. And it's interesting, when we first started working, the average age of somebody coming in to see us was over 65. It was probably somewhere between that threshold, 65 and 70. It was, our, you know, it was the greatest generation. It was the, our, the baby boomers' parents' generation, right? The great savers. Um, and it, it, so when they were coming in to see us, they had already made their Medicare. and They already had crossed that bridge. They were already on the other side. They knew what Medicare cost. They knew about supplemental coverages. Or a lot of, a lot of those folks actually got good retiree health care you know, from their employers. And that help supplement it. And th those plans have kind of gone by the wayside now. You're kind of on your own. Not too many companies today offer great retiree health care benefits. Um, if, you, if you have one, great. I mean, good for you. But so but then what happened was that generation got over. And then the baby boomers started coming up. And, and that completely changed or the average age of someone coming in looking for our help. It really reduced it by about a decade. I would say today, the average age of someone coming to see us for the first time is 55 to the 60. And they have not gone through. So when we first started working with the baby boomers, we realized this was a big problem. All right. Because what they would what they were doing was they we, we would give them the questionnaire for a new client and then 
when we got it back, we were reviewing it with them, and we noticed that they didn't put any answer down for the question about, you know, what are you planning to do for health care and retirement, and, and have you, what are you budgeting? You know, how much you think it's going to cost? And they were leaving it completely blank. So in the consultation process, we said, okay, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, I noticed you didn't answer this question about budgeting for health care and retirement. And they're like, oh, Mark, yeah, well, we're just going to go on Medicare. It's free, isn't it? And it's like, mm, not exactly. And we realized that they, a lot of baby boomers really had no idea of what health care costs in retirement, or at least they had no, they weren't budgeting it for it. They were just thinking it was an immaterial issue because they were going on Medicare. Now, I think since the baby boomers now were into the middle of not the almost to the end, not quite to the end, but certainly in the middle of the baby boomers turning 65, we've found out that a lot of them today, yeah, they, they now know that it's not free. Okay. So recent surveys show that 45% of American ages 50 to 64 say, say they have little or no confidence that they will be able to afford health care coverage once they retire. That's a scary statistic. Right? And that's scary. Now, that's not the case with the estate planning team clients. We make sure that before you retire, or if you've recently gone to retirement, that, you, that you've created a detailed financial plan using realistic and conservative assumptions that models in the future cost of healthcare until you're passing, until the, you know, the longevity, until you put the stake, you know, you tell me how long you want your plan lasting. Is it age 85? Is it, do I hear 90? Do I hear 95? Do I hear a hundred? You know, that's your peace of mind. But what we do in that planning process say, yeah, we want to make sure that you have peace of mind or confidence that you will be able to afford your health care and retirement, that you do understand how to budget for it properly. All right. And a lot of that is, is getting an understanding of what the ABCs and Ds of Medicare are. So let's quickly. So again, I'm not going to get through all this today because I still want to continue a, a case review that I started last week's show um, regarding how you so how we help clients with year end planning. But I'll spend a little bit of time um, going over the ABCs and don't forget D's of Medicare. All right. So what's Medicare Part A? All right, Part A covers inpatient care at hospitals and skilled nursing facilities, as well as hospice and some home health care. If you paid Medicare payroll taxes for at least 40 quarters, the Part A premium is free. So on the current law, it's free. And for 99.9% of the listeners out there, Medicare Part A will be free for you under the current law. There is a deductible. You know, so for 2021, it's $1,484. Um, there's co-insurance for hospital stays longer than 60 days. And, you know, so there are some other costs, but basically the premium you don't have to budget for. I should go back to, and just, just before I forget that there's so many parts and pieces to this, because a lot of people say, Mark, well, when, when do I sign up for Medicare? And the general rule is the seven month period, the seven month initial enrollment period. And that covers the three months prior to the month you turn 65, the month you attain age 65, and then the three months following the month you attain age 65. So that's how you get the seven months. So as long as you sign up in that seven-month window, you've got it. Now, if you miss that initial enrollment, you could be penalized for signing up later. And it's a pretty stiff, stiff penalty. You know, it could be ten per, a permanent ten percent of the monthly premium multiplied by the number of years that you you could have enrolled but didn't. So you you don't want to fall into that trap, all right? 
Now, and, and basically, if you say, I want it starting the month I turn 65, then it's recommended that you start the process that three months before then. Again, you can't go in 12 months before you're 65. They'll send you away. Right? Um, now, people say, well, do I have to go on Medicare? Well, no. And you won't be penalized if you are still covered by an employer plan whether it be your own employer plan, whether it's a spouse's employer plan, what have you. So as long as you're covered by an employer health care plan, you can defer electing to begin your, your Medicare. And you won't be penalized if you start it later on when you're no longer covered. Now there, it's an eight-month window. So at the time that you, under that scenario, where you lose your employer health care then you've got eight months to sign up for Medicare without incurring any penalties. Okay, so it's an eight-month window in that case. Now, some people say, well, Mark, I am covered by an employer plan, but I've also heard that I still have to sign up for Medicare A at 65. And what's the problem with that? Because there's no premium for that anyways. And there are some, and maybe I'm not going to get too far today into the weeds, but there are some rules about that. But one thing that, yeah, I mean, it may make sense for you, but just don't ask your neighbor what they did because they may have a different circumstance. But for example, one of the reasons why you might not want to do that is that if you are still contributing to a health savings account. All right, because you're in what, let's say you're in the employer plan and it's a high deductible plan, which allows you the ability to fund a health savings account, which is a great savings tool, right? A great tax efficient, you know, you get a tax deduction money going in, it can sit in there and grow tax deferred or, you know, without any paying tax on it. And then if you take it out later on in retirement and pay for qualified medical purposes, it comes out tax free. Can't get much better than that from a tax wrapper. Tax deduction going in, tax-free coming out. But the problem is you can no longer contribute to a health savings account if you are on Medicare, including if it's just Medicare A. So that's some. That's just one example of why, even though, or why you may not want to start Medicare A because you're covered by an employer plan. All right, what's Medicare Part B, as in boy, right? Well, Part B pays for doctor's visits, outpatient care, and some home health care. Um, there's also deductibles for that, and there is now a premium for this, right? And this is, uh, so for 2021, okay, the premium is starts off, I should say, at $148.50 a month, okay? And that would be per individual. So if you've got a husband and wife, that you each are paying that, right? It can be higher than that as well. So the Medicare Part B premiums are progressively weighted. So the more income that you have, the higher your Medicare premiums become. So this is one of the tax limbo thresholds that we're always working with, with our clients and their CPAs and their health insurance. You know, in other words, the idea is saying, yeah, you got to watch that, right? Because if you, that, can, that can surprise a lot of people. You know, if they if they don't realize that if their income goes over a certain threshold, their Medicare premiums. And the reason why it catches people by surprise is because there's a it's a two year delay. In other words, just take, for example, um, your 2021 Medicare premiums were based on your 2019 tax return. And a lot of people say, well, Mark, why is that? Well, it's just logistics. In other words, they have the Medicare has to know what they're charging you for Medicare starting in January of any year. So in January of any, they're not going to take your word for it. In other words, they're not going to say you tell us how much income you have and we'll charge you, we'll base your Medicare premium on that. They don't take your word for it. No, no, they don't do it that way. They get your tax return for verification. And in January, let's for example, in January of 2022. What tax returns are completed by then? Well, certainly the 2022 tax return is not done. Oh, by the way, the 2021 tax return is not filed yet either. So in that case, they're going to have to go back two years and get the return that is done, the 2020. 
So that's why there's this two-year gap. Now, that causes a lot of confusion because what happens, and, and this is why there's a, an appeal process, because, for example, let's say you were working in 2020. In other words, so your 2020 tax return will deem what your 2022 Medicare premium is. So let's say you were working in 2020, you had lots of wages, but in 2022, you're now retired and you have zero wages. So you need to appeal that to the to the Medicare trustees and say, look, it, it's not fair for you to use my 2020 tax return because I was working then and I'm not going to have those wages. And because I don't have those wages, I'm not going to be over that threshold that you want to charge me an extra Medicare premium for. We call that the IRMA adjustment, the, you know, the, 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 you know, the income, you know, adjust, you know, related adjustment for having too much income. So, and there's rules about that. So we talk a lot about that on this show. All right. So that's Medicare Part B. All right. Then we've got Medicare Part C. And this is commonly also known as Medicare Advantage, right? And this is a this is something that we see is getting more popular with the baby boomers. And the reason why it's so popular is multifold. You know, one is that this is a relatively no or zero cost premium or low cost premium. That's the big advantage, right? But also over recent years, they have gotten better. Okay, the federal government has put more resources into the Medicare Advantage. Um, the the the, uh, the the what you get covered for now. We see a lot of Medicare Advantage plans. They do give you some dental or some vision. Okay, um, they and the premiums are still zero. Right now, you're still you're still in, you know, you still have to pay the Medicare B premium under Medicare Part C. But it kind of takes you out of that traditional government administrated Medicare and it's, it's turned over to the private insurance groups. So these private, and, and again, this town, we've got great medical facilities, right? And so that's why there's many plans, Medicare Advantage plans in this town. And they're very competitive. And they and that's that's why we've seen the growth of them, why more and more every year, more and more baby boomers are choosing this pathway to reduce that potential cost in retirement. Also, those same people that are shopping have seen that the Medicare, the private, the Medicare supplemental, which we'll talk about next, um, our prices are going up. So Medicare Advantage, that's very popular. Um and if you're on that, you don't buy a Medicare supplemental plan. Okay, that covers. So basically, back you know, back to the basics, Medicare A and B covers about eighty percent of your medical costs. All right. So you don't want to run the risk of being twenty percent out of pocket for a major medical in retirement. That's why you go get some coverage to cover that twenty percent gap. And so you could go with the Medicare Advantage, that covers you 100%, or you buy a private Medicare supplemental. Sometimes those are called Medigap policies, right? And this is where you're still under the government's traditional parts A and B, okay? But now for that 20% gap, you're going to a private carrier and they're providing, and those plans, there's, there's, it, you know, they range, they, they're lettered out. There's about eight or nine of them that go like A, B, C, you know, F, G, you know, F is now, now, and, and each one of those letters is, 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 um, set on what is, what is covered. So that's why it's, it's fixed and the coverage under those, in other words, so if you get a Medicare supplemental plan G from carrier A, it's got to cover the same things that, the same G plan by a competitor, you know, company, right? So they're formalized in that way. Now, that is something that, you know, would cover the gap, but, but now you have Medicare D and that is the government's prescription drug plan. All right. And again, that's not my, that's not mandatory. You know, Medicare A and B are mandatory. 
the Medicare C is not mandatory. A Medicare gap, a Medigap, a Medicare supplemental is not mandatory. Getting a prescription drug plan is not mandatory. That, that's up to you whether you want those or not. But now it is, though, under the kind of the way the Medicare Part C or Medicare Advantage plans work, pretty much they're going to put you on the Medicare D plan. You know, you're going to have to, you know, pay that. Now, that's not a big cost. I think they're, you know, projecting that to be next year around $21 a month each for a, a, a Medicare D prescription drug plan. Um, so these are some of the basics that you have to go in. And today, again, it's that concern that we see that a lot of people, they don't know how to even go about try and decide of whether they should go with a Medicare supplemental plan or a Medigap, you know, what we call a Medigap plan or go the other way out, which is the Medicare C or the Medicare Advantage plan. And what are the pluses and minuses of that? And this is where it's a very individualized decision. You know, again, you don't want to, it's not my neighbors. You don't want to just get the plan that your parents are on perhaps, or what your coworkers did or, or what your neighbors did. You know, a lot of it depends on, well, how is your health right now or your spouse's health? How is your, you know, what prescription drugs are you taking and what is the cost of those? Um, and, and you have to look at that and say, okay, now what's the best plan for me? So, again, we'll be talking more about that as the weeks go by. All right, so you're listening to Financial Food for Thought. Brought to you by the Estate Planning Team Incorporated. My name is Mark Donnelly. And if you would like help in any of these topics, and if you are scared of something or worried or not sure how to build a model, a financial model, how you dovetail in a adequate budget for health care, come see us. We've been helping Cleveland families do that for over 35 years. You can reach us at our home office by calling 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090. You can visit our website. It's financialfoodforthought.com. Just one string, financialfoodforthought.com. And you can also sign up for a consultation on there. You can also go in there and link to these radio show podcasts. So you can go back and catch the previous shows, which as if you hadn't, if you didn't catch last week's show and the next topic I want to kind of finish up today with is I had started a case review because this is also the time of the year where we start talking to our clients about year end planning. And that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And I talked a lot about that last week's show, but basically I started this case where yes, we had a client, who was in a particular transition period where he had retired a couple of years ago. He had done a, the NUA treatment, uh, get his company stock out of his 401k plan. And now he was setting up his retirement lifestyle. He wanted to defer social security to age 70 to get the deferred credits. He was in a pretty good, he didn't have a pension. So he was in a, basically a zero tax bracket and he wanted to start maxing out, you know, obviously he's got to maintain their lifestyle in retirement. So we have to have a good price tag of what that is prior to going in retirement. We had built up a nice cash reserve in, in preparation for going into this window period. And during this window period, it was, yeah, the first, first important thing is make sure we have enough cash flow to do the things we want to do in retirement. But two also is work on this company stock issue because he, had, he felt he was overweighted in his company stock compared to his other investments, so he wanted to diversify. And also, he was interested in Roth IRA conversions because he knew he was he had a large, they together they had a large IRA, and they were going to get trapped by the future required minimum distributions, especially if the government raises income tax rates in the future or when President Trump's 2017 tax act, the lower individual tax rates expire at the end of 2025. So all these periods are going. So so we, we, we started talking and we're working with his CPAs and we're building different tax pro formas, we call them. We're saying, okay, so this is what your tax would look like if you do plan A. This is it if you do something different. <laughs> plan B, plan C, plan D. And 
but when when you're making those different scenarios, you can you, the ideas are you crunching enough numbers, enough scenarios that leaves you in a decision making mode. And a lot of times, if you if you're not used to doing that, you may you might not even be asking your CPA to run those numbers for you. Um, and a lot of times that's what we say at the estate planning team. You know, we're big on coordinated advisors, you know, whether it be your attorney or your CPA or your investment advisor, you know, we don't manage assets at the estate planning team. We work with a lot of our clients, investment advisors. A lot of our clients do their own investments too, by the way. Um, but, or the insurance, uh, agent professionals or, you know, the, we, what we consider ourselves financial planners, building these custom models that's projecting future financial projections based on the assumptions, the best assumptions you're making today. So back to the year in planning. So sometimes, you know, I think in this case, we, we had, we ran a lot more than uh, potential performers on what the client was thinking that we would run or they're thinking that he should be running. So, so a lot of times I get, you know, good question. Well, Mark, uh, how many different types of performer scenarios did you run for the clients? And as, as I, as I'm going to turn around and ask you that question, how, you know, when, when any of those advisors I just named, whether it be your CPA or your investment advisor or your financial planner or your attorney or your annuity salesman, how many tax scenarios have they run for you looking at different alternatives? Whether, for example, you take money out of the annuity this year or you don't, or when you should start taking money out, or, you know, from the investment advisor, you, you know, do, you know, how do you generate cash flow tax efficiently and still maintain a good growth level or your tax preparer, you know, what would it look like if you don't do a Roth conversion? What would it look like if you did a $10,000 Roth conversion? What would it do if it, if you did a $20,000 Roth conversion? All right. So I'll ask you how many scenarios are your advisors right now running for you? Is it two or three? Well, in this case, we ran a little bit more than two or three. Actually, we ran a little bit more than five or six. Actually, I think we were up to about eight different scenarios before we, the state planning team, identified an issue that neither the client nor his CPA caught. And it had to deal with that topic I was just talking about. See, our client in this year is age 63. All right. In two years from now, he will be on Medicare and his spouse will as well at age 65. But they're going to use this year's tax return, right, to project or to, to or not to project when they get to there, when they get to 20, you know, two years from now, they're going to use 2021's tax return to determine what their Medicare premiums are. So when we, so, and they weren't, the client wasn't aware of this two-year window. And he, and, and he wasn't aware that by going, if they go too high and the income, the modified adjusted gross income in 2021, it's going to cause their 2023 Medicare premiums to go up. And they're not going to be able to appeal that because, you know, because it's not an issue that where he can just say, well, I was, he was already retired in 2021, so he can't use that as a, an appeal process. You know, what's going to generate his income or what he was, what we were, the thresholds we were working at was like maxing out the zero capital gains rate, or he was even in the CPA where he was talking about maxing out the Obamacare surtax. That's, you know, with modified just gross, uh, modified just gross income of 250000 All right. So, you know, you can see, but that was going to cause their Medicare premiums to go up substantially. And capital gains isn't an appealable, you know, issue normally for, for to get out to lower the Medicare premiums. I, if I just lost you in the weeds, that's okay. I'm just running out of time here today. If, if, if just come in and see us or the point is we know what questions you need to be asking your CPA if you're working on year end planning or if you're doing the taxes yourself using one of the robots, you know, they're not always set up to do a lot of t 
tax projections and 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 future tax you, you know um pro formas they're generally a compliance issue to make sure that this year's tax return is done accurately based on the numbers that are real not necessarily a lot of now can you manipulate the programs to run different scenarios yeah but they're not really set up to do that um anyway so you say well mark how did we get to 16 that's not possible because once we found this Medicare issue, we did another eight scenarios. And basically, so I'm just going <laughs> to, it, it, it's not that hard to get up this. And I don't know if we're done yet with the 16 pro formas. We may go further. But, I mean, you start with the base case. So in this case, they were just saying, okay, they're going to, you know, he's diversifying. He knows he's got to diversify his company stock because it's an overweighted position. So that's going to cost capital gains. But luckily, he did the NUA, so at least he's going to get capital gain treatment on that and not treat it as ordinary taxable income coming out of the 401k. So he's up about $84,000 in year-to-date capital gains. He's also charitable inclined. He has a donor-advised fund, and he was thinking of putting – he was tossing up. Him and his wife, they were tossing up whether they were going to put $20,000 into the DAF or $40,000 into the DAF. So that's why we doubled the scenarios because one set of scenarios is if they only make a $20,000 donor-advised fund contribution. A second set is a $40,000 donor-advised contribution. Now, when, and this is one of the reasons why you get to so many uh, scenarios is because when you're doing scenarios, you keep everything else the same. You just change like one variable at a time. So, in other words, in that example, well, what would my taxes be if I did a $20,000 DAF? And two, what would my taxes be if I did a $40,000 DAF? You know, that, you know, that type of analysis. All right. He also has a health savings account where they're planning on maxing out. You know, you know they're both over 50, so they'll be able to get 9200 this year into the health savings account by doing the, the catch-up for both of them. Now, when we did that for them, their CPA were running that. We've said you're, they're in a zero tax bracket because they're, you know, they, they haven't maxed out that 0% long-term capital gains rate, you know, which for 2021, married filing jointly, is 80800 So that means all, when there's diversifying this company's stock and creating capital gains, and by the way, the stock that, he, that he's still holding is paying a qualified dividend, all of that income is right now taxed at zero because he's under the threshold. Remember, that long-term capital gains threshold is based on taxable income. So you get the up to the 80800 plus the standard deduction. Now, in this case, because he's funding the donor advice fund, he's got an itemized deduction. So he's even higher than the standard deduction. All right. So now... So the second thing was, well, okay, if you, so that's a good place to start. If you haven't maxed out zero yet, the next scenario is how much more capital gains could you do to max out zero? Because why wouldn't you do that if you're, if that's his goal is to diversify this company's stock. All right. So we figure that out and he could do, um, yeah, he, he could do about another 16, 20, about another 20 some thousand. In capital gains, he could take his his currently at eighty four thousand. He can go up to one hundred five thousand in capital gains and still be at zero. Okay, well that was interesting to him. Um, by the way, if he does the forty thousand dollars DAF, remember he's he was they were on the fence of whether they're going to do twenty thousand or forty thousand. If he does, and and by the way, that the way what he was doing was that was another way he was diversifying of this overweighted company stock position. He was giving these shares in kind to the the DAF fund, so he was he was getting he was getting the diversification, but he wasn't having to pay the capital gains tax on that. These were other capital gains that were done. All right, so if he does the forty thousand, now he could do another twenty thousand. You know, because he if he increases his DAF by twenty thousand, he could do another twenty thousand in capital gains, or up to about one hundred twenty five thousand in capital gains and still be at zero. Now, he was also talking about, um, you know, he's interested in Roth conversions. So then we ran a whole nother set of scenarios doing the same type of calculations, but instead of increasing the capital gains, we ran another four options if he just did Roth IRA conversions. In other words, you know, keeping the current capital gains the same, you know, 84,000, not incurring any more of that, but instead taking up that 
zero room or the next threshold room by doing Roth IRA conversions. Okay. So if he, again, at the $20,000 DAF fund, okay, um, and, you know, we get, it, well, uh, let me give it, one of the things he was looking at, um, he was pretty, at this point, he was pretty much sure he was going to do the $40,000 DAF. Okay. And so we said, okay, well, if you did a $40,000 DAF and you're still at zero and you want to max out the 0%, we figured he could do about a $41,000 Roth conversion. Okay. And his CPA is working those things. Now the CPA is building all these different scenarios, right? And we're running plans and we're running adjustments and we're, we're making sure everyone is on the same page. Now, one of the thresholds that he was talking about was maxing out that Obamacare surtax, 250000 But that's where we said, uh-oh, but if you do that, you're going to incur higher Medicare premiums a couple years down the line. And it would actually, using today's cost of Medicare, we don't know what it will exactly be, it was going to be in about an additional four or $5,000 in Medicare premiums two years down the line. So he, that wasn't too exciting to him. And he said, well, maybe I don't want to do that much. So then we ran eight more illustrations saying, well, all right, so let's talk about those Medicare thresholds. So currently, if, you, if you're married filing jointly and can stay under $176,000 of modified adjusted gross income, that's where you got to take your adjusted gross income and add back in your muni interest in that year. If that can be under 176, you're still at the first tier for the Medicare threshold. You don't have any IRMA adjustment, additional premium. So then we ran this four scenarios saying, well, how could he max out the 176, whether he does it by additional capital gains or whether he does it by Roth IRA conversions or if he uses some of both. That's how you're getting to these different scenarios. Now, after we ran that, he said, well, well, what's the next Medicare threshold? So the one above 176 is 222,000 under the current law. Now, by the way, we should be getting new numbers on that. I don't think they're out yet. They should be out by Thanksgiving. A lot of people are saying, you know, we got the new Social Security cost of living. You know, that was set now, you know, 5.9% increase to COLA adjustment for Social Security. That's now, you know, the, the, the Social Security group announced that this week, but we don't know the Medicare premiums. So then we said, okay, well, what if we maxed out the 222? So that was another set of scenarios. And we said, okay, how do you do that? Whether you want to do it through capital gains or one of the, so the 16th pro forma we're working on is where he likes that idea. $40,000 DAF, maxing out the 222 with $142,000 in capital gains and a $77,000 Roth conversion. Now he's getting himself in a decision-making mode. And I don't know if we're done there. All right. Have a good week, everyone. We'll see you next week. Tune in next week for more financial food for thought. For more information about the show, for estate planning or upcoming seminars, call the estate planning team at 440-239-2090. Thanks for listening.